Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today we're back in the book of, J- in the, uh, book of James, chapter 3. We'll be starting around verse 5 and going down to verse 18. We're talking about the tongue. We're talking about how important it is in what you say and how you say it. And we said yesterday that research studies, if you're into that, shows that about you know, when people are listening to other people speak in a classroom or church or in a you know, public setting, people, or sometimes in, even in personal settings, people are actually only listening to a, they actually retain about maybe 10%, 20% of what the other person just said. The other 80% is your brain and you're either, you're, you're listening to how they say it. You're sort of judging them the way they say it. You're thinking about your own emotions that come about when you hear what the words are. And you're just really reacting on a more of a subconscious and a conscious level to the way people deliver what they say. Isn't that amazing? So if you're a person who's, you know, aware of that, you got to be aware, number one, that your tongue is so important. It, it It's like your calling card of who you are. McGee says it defines who you are. It, it, it you know, obviously it sets humans above the animals because we can speak, but it sets humans apart from one another in how they speak, in the manner of which they speak. And you can tell who's a prideful person, who's a silly person. You can tell who's a serious person, an arrogant person. You can tell a person's level of responsibility by just listening to the way they talk. A lot of times the politicians are being judged not so much for their what, they, what their programs are, but how they say it. And they can be for the lousiest programs, but they can look attractive, they can have attractive ads, or they can just say it with such passion people vote for them because they just like the way they talk. Isn't that amazing? And God also says... If you want to to serve me well, you've got to learn how to train and tame your tongue well because the tongue can do so much damage to people. It, you know, you can you can cut people down so easily with your tongue and you can build them up so greatly 
with your tongue. The smallest little organ in the body can do so much damage. And James has been talking, you know, about being doers of the word, putting the word into practice, and talking about faith with without works is a dead faith. And and the first thing that he talks about after he's talking about faith and works and being doers of the word, what do you think he talks about? Is what you're talking about. It's so important. You, you, what you say can, can, can determine the effectiveness of anything you do. If you say something and say it the wrong way, and somebody takes it the wrong way, or it was intended to slight somebody just a little bit, or to elevate yourself. So, just a little thing, and whatever you designed, whatever you... Um, we're trying to do, we'll get capsized, we'll get stunted, it won't work. Look at what the tongue can do. So the tongue sets in motion so many things, so many little interactions. And believe me, you're being judged by other people, by how you carry yourself with the way you speak. It's all about, it's all about how you speak. You can have so many great ideas in your mind, but when you deliver it with your tongue, if it's not the right way, you've already been judged. So God says how important it is for us. So let's jump right in and see how James puts all this together. Verse 5, the, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. You know, the tongue is really small, but look what it can do. It can talk about so many big things. Talk is so cheap. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. In other words, the tongue can do so much damage, like a blazing fire by something so small, like something like a match, something so small. You strike the match, and look what that little fire, that little spark can do to a whole forest. It's the same thing with the tongue. Verse 6, and the tongue is like a... And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. That's pretty strong stuff. In other words, it's our nature is so easy to talk bad, to talk boastful, to talk trash. You know, by our own nature, we're not people that spew righteousness right from our mouths all the time. That's not man's nature. Man's nature is is to talk lowly or to complain or to whine or to blame. That's our nature. That's what comes out of the mouth. It's a world of unrighteousness. Oh, I mean, that's a deep, that's a deep statement, isn't it? I mean, a whole world. I mean, it's probably, James is probably saying, I don't even have time to go in to how much unrighteousness can come out of somebody's mouth. The tongue is set among our members, <clears throat> staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and setting on fire and set on fire by hell. Isn't that, isn't that strong words there? The tongue can stain the whole body. What you say. And you can be somebody who's been trying so hard to do certain things. You say something. It gives your whole body a, a huge stain. And it, it, not only a huge stain, but it can set on fire the entire course of your life. 
by what you say. You get caught in a lie. And forevermore, people judge that. The tongue can really do damage. For every kind of beast, verse 7, and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. You know, being able to control what you say and how you say, say it is above something you can do. It is so hard to do this. And he's saying there, there's just no perfect person. There's nobody except a perfect person that can ever tame the tongue. And that's saying Jesus Christ is the only person who spoke perfectly with righteousness and peace and pure love. The tongue, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You know, that that tongue, if it's designed to, to speak righteousness, it can't speak lies or pride or prejudice or anything else not from God. If God lives in your heart, God needs to live in what you say also. And that's what he's saying. He's telling them, you want to do good works? You want to be doers of the word? You got to tame your tongue. You got to, that's got to be the first work that you start on into putting God's word into action. Be careful about yourself. Look at yourself first. And when you look at yourself, if you're trying to put in God's word into action, if it's in your heart, if it's in your mind, work on taming your own tongue. And then he comes off with some more um, metaphors here to just like try to bring this home. We talked about bits in the mouths of the horses yesterday and the rudders on the ship. But now here we go again. Does a spring bring forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? You know, of course not. You can't, you can't talk good and bad out of the same mouth, right? Verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So all these things are just metaphors that out of the one mouth, you got to be consistent. And, you know, <clears throat> whether you read the Bible or not, everybody hates being talked about. Everybody hates gossip if you're the subject of the gossip. But everybody loves to hear gossip about somebody else, right? Isn't that amazing what our ears can sometimes want to hear? The mouth is so quick to criticize. It's so quick to, to cut someone else down. So if we're trying to, to honor God with what we say, we have to honor God all with what we say, everything we say. Verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but but is earthly and unspiritual, demonic. Now, we've been shifting a little bit from the tongue to wisdom. So, if you're trying to do good works, if you're trying to be doers of the word, and you're trying to tame your tongue... Work on your good conduct in meekness of wisdom. If you're a smart person, or if you've read scripture, or if you have or if you feel like you're wise in certain areas, be meek about it. Be humble about it. Have humility in your conduct. That should be consistent with how you speak. He goes right in from talking to wisdom. Isn't it interesting how he put talking first? You know, normally, if I would have probably been writing this, I would have probably put what I'm thinking first and then what I say. But he went to what you say first. It's even more important because other people judge it so much. But if you're, if you have wisdom, go for meekness in your, in humility. Show your good works in the meekness of wisdom. And you don't need to be selfish or bitterness or have jealousy in your heart. So in other words, wisdom comes from the heart. And so to to truly be wise, you've got to set your heart right. And if your heart is centered on yourself, you're going to have bitterness and jealousy Or selfishness, that's selfish, means you're focused on yourself, right? So you need a heart centered on Christ. You need a heart centered on God. That's what you need. And he's saying you can't be wise if your heart is not centered, if your heart is not centered. It's not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. In other words, if your wisdom is centered on yourself, it's centered on the world, it's not God's wisdom. You need wisdom from above. That's what you need, not your wisdom. It doesn't necessarily have to make sense to you. It doesn't even necessarily have to make sense to people around you. It has to be pleasing to God. It has to be according to what God would want you to do. You say, well, sometimes I don't even know what God wants me to do. Well, sometimes we have to be in prayer. That's what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, this is chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when we're going through these trials and tests and things, and we want to know how to do God's Word, ask. James is saying, pray. You have a Heavenly Father who loves you. You have a Heavenly Father who wants you to ask. He wants to give you wisdom from above. And we have to believe. 
when we pray. Because if we're not in prayer all the time, we're probably not truly believing that God will fulfill that promise. Maybe our prayer life is a window into our faith life. If our faith life says, we can ask God and we we have a God who wants us to ask. And we're not asking, we're not praying. Maybe that's a, that's a window into the roots, into what our faith is. Maybe our roots aren't deep. And maybe that's not producing works on the top either, if we're not praying about stuff. You know, God, God will center our hearts. And when our hearts are centered on Him, sometimes that clarifies our decision-making. Sometimes it's more about us than it is about trying to say God's not going to answer my prayers. Maybe it's a, maybe we got to get our own hearts right. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there will be disorder in every vile practice. In other words, when you're centered on yourself, when you're centered on the world, there's always trouble, and there never will be peace. But verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure. You want to know if, if, if God's answering your prayers, and you feel like something in your heart is, this is the right decision? Look at it and see if it's a pure, see if it's pure, or if it's got any, any, um, Secondary benefit for yourself. You know, I prayed about it, and I think God really wants me to have a new truck. Oh, really? You think that's what He wants for you? Yeah, He wants me to have a big one with big tires, and that's what, you know. Well, maybe that's not wisdom from above. Maybe that's your own wisdom. Maybe that's not God answering your prayer. Maybe that's just your own heart still not centered on God's purposes for you says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits. Good fruit. That goes back to faith, remember? Faith without works is dead. You're not producing fruit unless you have faith, right? Good fruit. Impartial and sincere. That's wisdom. You want to be a wise person? Be pure person. You want to be a wise person? Be a peaceable person. Don't argue. Don't look for fights. Try to resolve things among yourself and others. Try to resolve things among others. Be a peaceable person. Be a pure person. Be a peaceable person. Gentle. Be a gentle person. You're not a hitter, a yeller, or anything like that. You don't have to raise your voice, do you? Be a gentle person. Open to reason. In other words, you may not have the answers. Isn't that interesting? You're a wise person, but you may not have to answer. You have to be open to reason. You have to be open to thinking things through. A wise person doesn't mean you automatically know the answer. That person might be a prideful person. But the wise person's humble enough to be open to reason and thinking it out. Full of mercy. 
mercy. Are you going to extend mercy to somebody else? Now, you think about wisdom as book smart, right? And knowing what to do. But it says full of mercy. That's a wise person. Mercy is the forgiveness you give somebody. Just like God is full of mercy and He forgave us. He forgives you. He forgives me. And good fruits. Full of mercy, but also full of good fruit. To be full of good fruit, as we said before, you know, our little analogy of the plant and the roots are under the ground, that's kind of like your faith. Your faith are your roots. Can't see them. Can't see somebody else's faith. How do you know somebody else has faith? Look at the fruit that they produce on top of the ground. Look at how tall their their uh, plant grows. How many leaves are on it? Is it healthy enough to survive the winter or attacks? Does it produce fruit? So wisdom is full of mercy and full of fruit, full of good fruit. That means that mercy, if it's producing fruit, that means that mercy has faith, underground faith. The root of that good fruit is faith. And wisdom is impartial, impartial. You're not judging other people by their uh, wealth or how their, the, the fineness of their clothes or their appearance. You want to be impartial, right? And we said that back in chapter 1, verse 9, talking about the lowly brother and the rich brothers. You can't judge others. You, if you want to be wise, you need to be impartial and sincere. Sincerity. If you're a wise person and you're not sincere, if you're not sincere when you're talking to people, they probably know it and you don't know it. If you're looking the other way, you're looking around when you're talking to somebody, but you're not really looking at them and you're looking around to see if there's anybody else you'd rather be talking to. People can kind of understand that. They can sense that. They won't say anything, but they know who's sincere. And it makes them either comfortable or uncomfortable talking to you. Probably. Be sincere in what you think and say and do. Be sincere to God when you pray. Be sincere in your heart. Don't be a mumbler or don't be a prideful prayer just to hear yourself talk. Be sincere. Talking to your Father who loves you. Verse 18, And a harvest of righteousness is sown by peace, in peace, by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now he's talking about wisdom from above. Now, Where do we get peace from? Well, Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Peace on earth. He came for there to be peace on earth. And love, joy, and peace. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. The first three fruits of the Spirit. Love being Jesus Christ. He's the personification of love. Joy is what happens when we're blessed. The word joy comes from the word beatus, which means blessing. 
Jesus Christ is the first gift. The second fruit of the Spirit is the joy that we get from Jesus Christ, from His blessing. And then peace. Peace with God. Being resolved to God. No more at odds with God. Why? Because we have Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of us. Why? Because now when God looks at us, we're not looked at as lowly sinners or the you know, vile people that we are. He sees the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We have reconciliation with God. Only, only Jesus Christ can bring peace on earth. And he says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. In other words, it's sown by the word and the gospel message of Jesus Christ, by those who make peace, by those who make peace on earth. That's, that's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is peace. That's the harvest of righteousness. It's in Christ by those who make peace. So the wisdom, the wise person understands that it is Jesus Christ that is this that what we do in other people and we're talking about this word harvest, it's another metaphor. It's talking about planting in the fields. Is he really speaking to the farmers? No. He's saying we're all like a farmer. And when we're wit, when we're wise, and we're do, using all these wise characteristics, it's like we're planting seed. That's the word of God. We're planting seed in other people, in a wise way, in a pure way, in a peaceable way, in a gentle way, in an open to in an open way, in a merciful way. In a fruitful way, impartial way, in a sincere way. Those are the characteristics of Christ. And that's how we take those characteristics to other people in a wise way, in a humble way, in a meek way. We sow those characteristics into other people so we can have a harvest. We have to have our tongue tamed and we. We um, want to be wise in our ways. We want the wisdom from God, not the wisdom from ourselves. And if we're trying to get the wisdom from God, we're not asking necessarily for the wisdom to get a better job, a better truck, or a better this, that, and the other, or whatever you're asking for. I want the wisdom to get a wife. I want the wisdom to get a husband. I want the wisdom to get a, you know... Uh, a lot of money. I want blah, 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 blah. We need to be asking for wisdom so that our hearts can be pure and peaceable and gentle and open and merciful and fruitful and impartial and sincere. We need that kind of wisdom. We need the wisdom to produce harvests of righteousness by everybody we meet and who we talk to because we want to sow peace. That's what we want to do. That's God's purpose for us. So, from me to all of you, we'll stop here. We'll, uh, we'll take up, uh, looks like, chapter 4 in James tomorrow. 
So that's exciting. I can't wait to jump in in chapter four. So for me to all of you, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, hope you're doing well. Take it away and we'll see you tomorrow. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from James chapter three, beginning at verse five, all the way to verse 18. So verse five of James chapter three reads, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire, kindles. So here, um, the tongue can really get us into a lot, a lot of trouble. And we need to recognize the importance of the tongue as it reveals who we are. The tongue is our index. It's our table of contents in our lives. It actually just reveals who exactly we are you can just tell you know within a short instance of meeting somebody just when they open their mouth you can actually tell who they are because the tongue just gives up you know who we are and we ought to be very careful with our tongue the tongue has caused so much destruction and so much um, pain in people's lives because the, the tongue can either be a curse or it can be a blessing depending on how we actually um, use it Verse 6 goes on to read, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. So here the tongue is compared to a forest fire. You know, when it is under control, it is very useful. Um, you know, just a few months ago, I think last month, you know, there has been, um, you know, forest fires, the worst forest fire in Australia that the world has ever seen. And, you know, the tongue is compared to a forest fire. The first fire, it starts on its own and you know, eventually it runs its course and and, um, and eventually it dies down. But the amount of destruction it actually causes throughout the course of it running is a lot. And the tongue is actually compared to a forest fire. So, um, you know, fire, when it's under control, is very useful. You know, fire can, can be for warmth, cooking, um, you know, and so many things. And fire, you know, they say was one of the greatest things that man discovered. Um, but if, you know, if it's if it's not under control, um, it's very, very dangerous. It can cause a lot of harm and destruction. It's, it's caused, it's destroyed um, a lot of people's lives. So the tongue is like a fire when it is under control. It's like a blessing. And when it is out of control, it's like, you know, a blight. It can be a cure or it can be a curse. And, um, you know, Proverbs uh, 12, verse 18, um, you know, it talks about the tongue. And here it reads, that's Proverbs 12, verse 18. It reads, um, there is no one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. So here, you know. If you haven't said it, you can't be held responsible. But once you have said it, you are responsible. So sometimes, you know, bridle that tongue with the bit. Just bridle it. You know, you if you haven't said it, you won't be held responsible at all. So, you know, the tongue can be like a sword and it can kill you, but um, it can do, um, you know, good in itself as well. So 
uh, let me also turn to Proverbs 15, verse 14. It also looks at, talks about the tongue, and it reads, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. So here it also talks about the tongue as well. If you haven't said it, you know, you can't be held responsible for it. And a tongue, you know, it can burn through a church. It can burn through communities, it can burn through a nation. It's like a forest fire. So, you know, today, what hurts the cause of Christ today in churches is that little organ, the tongue. Um, it can burn through, you know, a community. it can destroy a church, it can destroy a community, a nation. It's, it's, it's the tongue. You know, um, I think I quoted this last, in, in the last study that we had, you know, um, loose lips uh, sink ships, loose tongues sink ships. So, you know, let us watch what we say. And it said, um, here it says, um, sorry, verse 6, go back to James 3, verse 6, which reads, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is um, so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it sets on fire by hell. So this statement, and it sets on fire by hell. So the Greek word for hell is Gehenna and not Sheol. So it's the same thing in Revelations as the lake of fire. And here is, you know, the valley of Hinnom, where the fire never, you know, um, never gets put out. So the word is used 12 times um, in the New Testament. And Jesus Christ is, you know, used it 11 times. Um, and James has used it once here. And, you know, the tongue uh, set on fire by hell. So scripture goes on to read in verse 7 of James chapter 3, uh, for every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So here you can tame, you know, all manner of animals. You know, contain you know the wild animals, the king of the jungle, the lion, because you find it like in the circus, performing circus tricks. Uh, you, you know, um, these lions that are kept in the zoo. You know, all manner of animal has been tamed uh, by mankind, but uh, the little tongue, man cannot tame. So only you know, a regenerate tongue in a redeemed body that God has tamed can be used for Him. So you know. If we seek the Lord and, you know, we follow his guidance and we obey him, only then, you know, um, can our tongue be used for him, for God. So Paul said, we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths. There's a reason for that. You know, there's a reason why we have one mouth and two ears so that we may be swift to hear. We may pay attention and then we may be slow to talk. But a lot of people actually do it the other way around. They are very, very quick to, 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 to speak. So what is in the well of the heart will come out in the bucket of the mouth today. So whatever comes out of our mouth is built up from our heart. Verse 9 goes on to read, uh, with, uh, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the uh, similar, sorry, similitude of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth, Proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. So here, our tongue is capable of praising God or blaspheming God, and the tongue is what 
lifts man above the animal world today. This is what differentiates us from the animal world. So man is just not a gibbering ape or like a squawking uh, parrot. Man can communicate intelligently um, with man and with God as well. So when a man, um, you know, on Sunday can sing like an angel and talk like a demon during the week, um, this person is called a hypocrite. Scripture says this person is a hypocrite. In the Bible, it says this person is a hypocrite. So a man can bless God with his tongue. That's what this scripture means. And he can also blaspheme God. You can find this person like, oh, praise God, hallelujah, you know, on Sunday. But, you know, meet them out there, you know, out of church. You know, they can blaspheme. So the tongue, you know, can be double-sided as well. You know, um, and, you know, one minute, one person is saying something. The next minute, the person is saying uh, another thing. Verse 11 of scripture goes on to read, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives uh, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt and fresh water. And um, so here, you know, a man can be, you know, two-faced. So he can be double. He can be double-minded um, and, uh, you know, have a forked tongue. Individuals, you, you know, sorry, he can, sorry, a man can have a forked tongue he can be a folk tongue individual and he can say good and bad but um you know in life you would not find a fountain that can give both sweet and bitter water or you won't find a tree that's bearing both olive and fig trees unless you actually graft that and if it's possible but um you won't actually find it so the tongue reveals um genuine faith if we actually have genuine faith in god because with the mouth um we confess and um we confess that which is from our hearts. So the tongue um, reveals who we actually are and if we actually have genuine faith uh, for God. Verse 13 goes on to read, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So the tongue can reveal genuine faith. So it can give a testimony for God and it can speak wisdom. Let us use our tongue for that to actually give genuine testimony to God and to actually speak wisdom. And let us not use it to blaspheme God. Verse 14 goes on to read, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart or strife, do not boast and lie against the truth. And that's what the tongue can do. So strife and bitterness are not the fruits of the spirit. Now, so the tongue can stir up um, this kind of thing and James is making a contrast between what the tongue does the tongue of a foolish person and the tongue of a wise person so an uncontrolled tongue raises questions in any man's uh, mind and you know if he's a child of God or not so you know you can tell by how somebody talks and you know what comes out of their mouth if they're actually a child of God or not so we are told here you know lie not against the truth and a lying tongue denies God during the week by his conversation um you can actually tell like you know how a person actually speaks they deny God um that's a lying tongue and that's one of the things that God hates you know um 
a lying tongue. Verse 15 goes on to read, This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So here, James is making clear that these things don't originate from God. You know, the strife, the lying, and all. It's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Verse 15 goes on to read, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So here we will deal with this, you know, it's part of like what worldliness is in the next chapter because we will, it, it will define worldliness and what it is. Verse 17 goes on to read, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, so the wisdom that's above is pure, and that wisdom is pure. It brings about peace. So it's pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So here, anything that causes division and strife is not from the Lord. Now, um, something pure brings peace, and you know, wisdom from above brings peace. Uh, it doesn't matter what church. Um, or what, what church you're coming from, or, you know, um, it, the thing that matters is, um, is it bringing peace? Uh, you know, the message that you're putting out there, is it bringing peace? Um, then it's coming from the Lord. If it's bringing strife and confusion, it's not from the Lord. Now, uh, verse 18 goes on to read, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So here, this will be expanded upon in chapter four um but here it reads now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace so um you know anywhere where there's peace where it's just pure and wisdom is coming from above then just know it's from god uh, because it's not sowing strife and confusion and jealousy and um lying that's earthly that's that's sensual that's demonic um you know anything that's from above um the fruits of righteousness they are sown in peace so yeah, this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening in. God bless and have a pleasant Thursday. Thursday, right? Yeah, today's Thursday. All right, bye.